Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. That's where we are this morning. And as far as sermon summaries go, let's give Joe Noble a hand. I mean, if, if we could all come the next week and sit down and be able to go through it that well, we would grow so much faster. So thanks for giving us that example of how to just rethink the scripture, where we are, where we need to be. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 is the theme of last week somewhat and this week. Um, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Um, I had a kind of fun exchange at Zaxby's. I was down there grabbing lunch and as the attendant gave me my food and I'm fixing to go to my table, he said, well, I hope you have a good day. And I was, you know, thinking about this message and all that, thinking, well, you know, um, I'm going to be blessed whether it's a good day or a bad day. I said, God's good. He said, God's good all the time. I mean, we're starting to get something going on here. You know, and I thought, that's the Christian life, isn't it? That's the Christian life. God's going to bless us. His goodness is running after me, whether the day is a good day or a bad day, as far as the world wants to describe it. God is working all things together for good to those who are called according to his purpose and love him. Romans 8, 28. We know that. And so it's always good, all the time. God is doing good stuff for us. Grumbling and disputing is out of place. That's the message. Do all things, not some, all things without grumbling and disputing. It's just not to be in the life of the believer. A lifestyle of grumbling or complaints. And he goes on, which we saw last week, to say, and it's one of the things that distinguishes you from the non-Christian world. They're, they're living in darkness. It's immoral. It's perverted. yes. But it's just a dark place because they're never happy with what God is doing. And they grumble and they complain and they want to argue and dispute. And he says, I don't want, I don't want the world to see that in you. As a matter of fact, I was thinking this morning, one of the reasons I love coming to church. Have I told you this year that I love you? I love you. I love coming to church because in church, I get to hang out with some of the best people in the world. Non-complainers. Non-complainers. Some of the best people in the world. Where do they exist? They shine like lights in the church, in the world. If you're not there yet, this message is for you. How can I be one of those Saints of God, shining like a light in a dark place all the time. Someone who just doesn't walk into the day with grumbling and disputing. And doesn't get aroused during the day with grumbling and disputing. For us to have a lifestyle that conquers complaints, we need a strategy. Let's look a little bit at just how God describes our complaining to to get a grip on how serious it is to deal with this and not just push it off and say, ah, no big deal. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 6. 
this hit me like a brick. In fact, when I was preaching on 1 John and we got to chapter 5 in 1 John, it talked about sin unto death. So to understand 1 John, I'm looking at other passages of Scripture that might deal or present sins unto death. And this is one of the passages that came up. Let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians 10, beginning at verse 6, says, Now, these things took place as examples for us. Now, this is interesting. This is happening in Exodus, the people of God coming out of Egypt. And God has said, you know, you know the reason I, I did that whole story down there with Moses and the people of God in Egypt? He said, I did it as an example for you. Wow. God was thinking about us hundreds and hundreds of years before we were here, saying, I, I'm going to present some examples. So my people have flesh and blood people to look at and understand what I like and don't like. And here it is. It says, so now this took place as examples for us that we might, and notice the knots here. Verse 5, excuse me, verse 6. Not desire evil as they did. Verse 7, not be idolaters, as they were. Um, people sat down to eat and drink, rose up to play. Verse 8, not to indulge in sexual immorality, as they did. Uh, 23,000 fell in a single day. God said, I got really serious about that one. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test. Remember, that was one of Satan's... Um, Temptations of Christ. No, 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 you don't put God to the test. Didn't learn the example. As, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. And then now, number five, but it's in verse 10. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now notice several of these specifically mentioned God destroyed them. They did it, God didn't waste time, destroyed them. Go back to verse 5. It says, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. Now, so some of them passed the test. But with most of them not pleased, for they, and the proof of God's displeasure, he overthrew them in the wilderness. Sin unto death. Sin unto death. So you might would have, I said, you know, names for me some sins unto death. You might have put two or three of those on the list. But would you have put grumbling there? God puts grumbling on the list of sins unto death. That's a serious charge. Um, I mean, just think about it. God says... You're disputing me, my choices. I plopped you down on earth. I chose your mama. And I fashioned you in her womb. And I gave you life. And then I started giving you blessing after blessing. I particularly gifted you to have purpose and significance. And you want to complain, really. You want to grumble. You want to take issue with your creator. And God is saying it sometimes. It, I've had it. 
We're done. That's inappropriate. That should not be happening. And they were overthrown. If you read their story, man, they grumbled and grumbled and grumbled and grumbled. And you get the feeling that God was getting that it was enough and became to them a sin unto death. Um, you know, we just sometimes don't think of about the displeasure of God, do we? That our words, our actions, our looks, our thoughts, our behavior, our manner, maybe it's not pleasing to God. Maybe it's downright offensive to God. I want us to see grumblings in that category. Um, if you're raising kids, this is a, a subject. You have to, to train them up. I remember many times where I just say, wait, stop. We don't do that in this house. That's inappropriate. What? No grumbling. We don't do that. That's not who we are. We are the people of God. We have been chosen. We are chosen race. We're royal priesthood. We're God's kingdom. We don't do that. We have been chosen for specialness. That's not who we are. That's not what we do. That kind of training needs to be taking place. We need to train our own hearts. Why? Because of the consequences, sheer consequences. Sin unto death? Really? Let me give you some more consequences. Not only is death a terrible consequence, but God describes grumbling as producing the, the consequence of destruction, of divisiveness, and of discouragement. Let's look at destruction. Numbers chapter 14. Verse 26 through 29. Got them in back order, don't I? Okay. I'm doing number three. I'm trying to think. Why are y'all looking at Exodus? No, it's Numbers 14. 26 through 29. Let me go there. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I've heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness. And of all your number listed in the census, from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except for Caleb and Joshua. So you see this, this serious trembling. Let's see, verse 22. None of the men who had seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have yet put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice. God says they don't get it. God says I've tolerated I've tolerated the grumbling for a while. Ten times is that enough? How much toleration is ridiculous? And it ceases to be a loving God God is a loving God, but He's He's saying to these grumblers, okay, you're as good as dead. You're as good as dead now. You've destroyed your life. And you've destroyed your life by grumbling. 
and complaining. You didn't have to do that. I had redeemed you um, out of Egypt and done so much for you. Have you ever wondered? I mean, you want to wonder, but you don't want to complain, okay? Uh, Have you ever wondered why earthquakes happen, tornadoes happen, tsunamis happen, storms happen, droughts happen, some diseases happen? You go back and you read these stories of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, and God's wiping them out. And sometimes the reason these things are happening is because of grumbling and because of complaining. Not There's still good people there that make it through, but God is saying, I, you're as good as dead. I'm taking you off this earth. It's going to be a destructive thing, but the destruction started when you started grumbling and complaining. We must get the seriousness if we're going to cure it, if we're going to conquer it. God presents it as deathly serious. Um, Look at James chapter 5, verse 9. James 5, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. There, it just screams the message to me that our grumbling matters. It affects us, not just God. It definitely affects God. He's offended. But he said it affects you. You're going you're gonna to see reaction that's not desirable. There's judgment that comes because of grumbling and complaining. Another verse on ju- uh, judgment. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, um, verse 10. Let me get there. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. God keeps an account. Christ keeps an account. He says, I want you to do good, obviously, not evil. And there are rewards. There's judgments. It matters. We don't just get saved and just hang around and nothing matters until we go to heaven. God gives us time on earth to live for him, to shine like lights in this dark world. And he says, that matters to me. And there's rewards for it. There's also judgments when the grumbling and disputing return. He says, don't, don't do it, don't, don't do it. Can't say it much differently. Let's look at uh, discouragement. Look at Exodus 5, 21 through 23. Exodus 5. And they said to them, the Lord, look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Um, We'll come back to the focus on us. Here's the Israelites 
saying, I hope God judges you, Moses and Aaron, because your actions are making us stink to them. People don't, they don't think we smell good anymore. They don't like us. It's your fault. They're grumbling. They're complaining. Look over at chapter 15, verse 24. 1524, and the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. All the water is poisonous, and they were dying, and so they grumbled and complained about it, and God fixed it. Look at chapter 17, verse 3. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. There's an example of grumbling and complaining. I put it under the category of discouragement. Why? Who's discouraged here? Well, I think God is, but how about Moses? Moses is discouraged. I mean, it starts off like, oh, good grief. God, I'm just trying to do what you called me to do. You told me to go to Pharaoh. I went to Pharaoh. I told him what you told me to say. I'm coming back home, and everybody should be, yay, good job, Moses, good job, Moses. And they, they just criticize, and they grumble, and they complain, and they say, it's all my fault. How, how is it my fault? He didn't say that. He just kind of hangs his head, you know, in discouragement. Wow. And then he comes to the camp, and they're grumbling about the water to drink. It's poisonous. How is that my fault? God says, just throw that log in. It'll become sweet. It does. Comes into the camp again. Where's the water? There's six million of you guys. Not somebody find water. You know, and again, there's no rejoicing over Moses being such a great leader. I mean, to lead a nation out of a nation, that was unbelievable task in leadership. And you just don't see anybody cheering him on. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13. Here's a verse on leadership in the church today. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. But that'd be no advantage to you. You kind of get the judgment reward thing in there again, don't you? God keeps bringing it up. First of all, you want a leader who's a God-called man. And that's the kind of leaders God's talking about here. He says, the leaders I'm talking about are people I called into action. They give an account to me. So they must be God's called men, not your called leaders, but God's called leaders. And that's what we look for in leadership in the church. God has called someone. We should all be godly. Leading in our homes, leading in our communities, we should all be doing that. But God calls particular men 
women into a ministry and those that he calls into a ministry in the church, they have to give an account to God. And that's what he's saying. And he's saying, when you realize that, you should be responding to a God-called leader with joy. Thanks for leading me. Thanks for how you helped me. You encouraged me. Instead, if you give them discouragement with grumbling and complaining, they go around with their head hanging low, like, God, I'm just trying to do what you called me to do. Why all the grumbling? Why all the complaining? And there's no joy in their heart. If you see me walking around with my head down grumbling, I'm grumbling because somebody else is grumbling, right? I'm discouraged, you're discouraged, we're all discouraged, and we're not, we're not acknowledging that God was in charge. He called us into our respective roles to work together and shine like lights in this dark world. And instead of doing that, we've let grumbling reduce our joy. So one of the things that brings discouragement means it kills, it's a uh, kill joy. It's robbing us of rejoicing. Um, not only putting us into a deathly category, but it's just, God may tolerate us a long time, and, and we're, we're decreasing the joy that God has given us. One of the goals of membership, you see that from Hebrews 13, 17, is joy. We want our leaders to be happy, not discouraged. And they're going to lead us um, in greater joy and rejoicing as a result of that. That's one of our membership goals, to, to, to bring encouragement, not discouragement, not grief, not head hanging. Let's move on. Divisiveness. Luke chapter 15, verse 2. Now, you know this passage as the prodigal son passage. Luke 15. It's got a number of grumbling uh, situations here. Luke 15, verse 2 kind of sets up the whole prodigal son story. Let me read 1 and 2. Uh, Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Now Pharisees and scribes, they were your church folks. They were the religious ones. They were the leaders in the church of their day. They're the ones doing the grumbling. They're grumbling because sinners are getting to spend time with Jesus. Uh, is there anything wrong with that? Well, I wanted to spend time with him. That's where they're going here. And you, you saw it in the older son. Look at verse 29, I think it is. Uh, yeah. The older son said, he answered his father, look, these, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Like you never partied with me, dad. Why are you partying with the sinner? They grumble and they complain and it's creating groups. It's divisive. Dividing the haves from the have-nots rather than saying, I have enough. I have, if, if I have the smile of Jesus' face, that's the song we sang. That's enough. That's enough. And when we don't live that way, it just creates such 
divisiveness in the body of Christ. We, we want a special place. We want what somebody else has. Someone else has, seems to have better access to Jesus. It gets to spend time with Jesus. Gets to even eat and drink with Jesus and party and celebrate with Jesus. Wow. Why don't I get that? And then we're divided. Well, you get this and you get this. And it just, it leads to so many problems. And God hates it. Look at uh, Proverbs 6, the list of things God hates. God brought this to my mind. And um, I wondered if, I couldn't remember the whole list just right. And I wondered if grumbling was here. Well, it's not. Uh, but something is here that is related. So Proverbs 6, verse 16, there's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. He hates haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run to evil, 19, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. That's what grumbling does. It sows discord among brothers. And God hates it. He hates the consequences of sin as much as we should hate them. All right. Um, so let's wrap it all up. What are the causes of complaining? What's causing you to do it? You say, okay, David, you, you got me. I want to kill this thing. I want to conquer complaints. Why did they keep coming up? Two reasons. Reason number one, because our focus is on ourself. Our focus is on ourself more than our own Savior. Reason number two, because our focus is on our situation more than on our sovereign God who controls that situation. Focus is on ourself, not on Jesus. Our focus is on our situation. Not on Jesus. You can already see the cure, right? Where it's coming. But realize the cause. As soon as the grumbling and disputing comes out of your mouth, and we're hearing some right now, right? When it comes out of our mouth as an example for us, it's because the focus needs to be on me. I'm not getting what I want right now. You know, as children, they start focusing on the chair. I'm not getting my animal crackers. Where's the water? Where's the juice? You know, it's focused on us. And so we grumble and complain because us is not getting what us wants. Who's the primary focus? It's self. It's not God. Whenever it's self and not God, grumbling is going to start. It's not thinking of God. It's thinking of our agenda, not God's. Our situation. We want our situations to change constantly. We want them to get better than whatever they are. Wherever we are, we want it to be a little more perfect. I just never found a perfect situation. I thought about that. You know, I, we actually have rented a, a beach condo for the week, um, down in May, and it's, it's one of the few places, I think it might be the only place we've ever returned to. 
Because when I sit down in a beach vacation home, I'm thinking, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that. I never find one that's perfect that just draws me back. We don't find perfect situations. And I've thought about why not? And the reason is because this world is under a curse. You remember Romans 8, it says, the whole world still groans awaiting the resurrection and the final consummation of Christ. We groan in this cursed world. It's not a perfect world. You will never walk into perfection here on earth. So <coughs> you can choose to grumble and complain about it. Or you can put your eyes on Jesus who's redeeming you from this world and from this sin and has already released you from the grit, sin's grip on you that you can live to his praise and adore him. Our focus when it's on us, we want something to be better. We want the situation to be better. You remember, uh, I was thinking about this this morning, and God reminded me of the, the story of Jesus and the disciples going across the Sea of Galilee, and a storm comes up, and these are strong, these aren't wimpy men, these are strong fishermen, um, and they are, <clears throat> storm has become so huge, you know, they, they're bailing with everything they've got to get the water out of the boat, and, you know, it just, they're just maintaining it keeps coming in, and they're trying to get it out. And I can imagine they're looking around. We just need one more person to dip, and we'll, we'll, we'll stem the tide. <sighs> Jesus is sleeping on a pillow. It was all about us. We need to get this water out. We're about to sink, and he's sleeping. I Imagine... That story was written and created for the disciples to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto Jesus. No better way than to lay down and sleep in a boat when everybody else thinks it's all about them and they're dying. Now they're forced to turn and look at Jesus. They've been looking at their situation which is dire, worst they've seen. They're looking at themselves. They're in the worst condition they've been. Now they look at Jesus. So when the spotlight is where it should be, on Christ, the Savior and the Sovereign, he comes up off the pillow. Just kind of looks around. They're screaming. Hush, be still. And he wasn't talking about disciples, was he? Just, and bam, not a noise. And then everybody starts shaking because of what just happened. And they can't get their eyes off Jesus. And as they're looking at Jesus, what do they say? Jesus says, why, why are you afraid? And they said they're shaking more now than they were shaking when they were bailing water. 
And the only thing that can come out of their mouth is, and even the wind and the sea bows down at his command. Jesus is in charge of the wind and the waves and the whole world. And he's in charge of me, my life. Am I stupid or what? I should have always just been worshiping Jesus. I should have been focused on Jesus, seeing what Jesus was doing. What Jesus was doing was creating a storm to shake me up to quit depending on me. And quit grumbling and complaining when I don't get what I want. And to get me back to seeing it's about thy will be done, not my will. About God's will. About his sovereign purposes. His sovereign plan. When we get there, we can start conquering grumbling and complaining. The disciples then go now, they're a team. As they follow Christ. And they can minister and function effectively and fruitfully without grumbling and complaining. Because now they have eyes on a Savior. And now they have eyes on the sovereign one who can do all things. Nothing's impossible. And if he wants to fix the situation the way you like it, he can do that. But he might just fix it a different way because it's going to make you even more effective and even more fruitful. But either way, it's good because God's working all things together for good. For those who are called by him and who respond in love to him. Causes of complaining, we're looking at self instead of our Savior. We're looking at our situations instead of our sovereign. So what's the cure? Cure is easy. You just got to shift from self to Savior. From situation to sovereign. So when you come into a situation and you feel that I'm not real comfortable here, say, well, wait a minute, it's not about me. What's Jesus' comfort? Let's look at my Savior first. How does he want to redeem me or use me to, for redemption in this, this life, these people, and then situation? Is this situation now too big for God? Of course, we know the answer, no. Is it something he might want to change, maybe? then maybe I should pray. And we can talk about to God about the situation, but we don't need to complain about it. He's in charge. He can, he can do whatever he wants with the situation. He can do whatever he wants with us. Look at missional statement, uh, Matthew 22, 37, 39. Matthew 22, 37, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord uh, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What are we already doing according to those two great commandments? We're already focused on ourselves. Love others as yourself. You're already doing that. 
you got that, that focus on yourself. What I want you to do, the first two commandments, I want you to focus on God. And I want you to focus on others, on people, as you're already doing on yourself. You see, we got that. We come into the world with that focus. I want you to focus on God and others. It's a shift in our thinking from self to God, from self to others. When we are serving either God or others, we cease being selfish because now we exist for someone other than self. Shift your thinking from self to God's the first commandment. Shift your thinking from self to others. How can you serve the people around you? What gifts has God given you? What abilities? Serve them. How can you serve God? We talk about it here. We serve Him by worshiping, singing His praise. He loves that. We serve Him by bringing tribute to Him week after week. We serve Him by using the gifts He's given us in ministry. So many ways to serve Him. But you got to shift your focus from self, serving self to serving God and serving others. Exodus 34, 6 says, He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Do you believe that? We have a God who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's a God I can serve. That's a people group I can serve. Those that are abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that cures, conquers complaining. Cures it. Right there. Um, starting today, come up with a response. Come up with the triggers. What's it going to take for you just to shift the focus? This is the day the Lord has made. Let me rejoice in my God, in his people. Let me love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let me serve others. Let me shift this focus off of me. Because it doesn't need to be about me. It's so much more significant. It's less damning. It's less destructive. It's less discouragement. It's less divisiveness if I get the focus off of me. And shift it to God and shift it to others. Let's pray together. Father, there may be someone here in this room that has never stopped grumbling and complaining. Their life is full of it. And they know it. We don't have to tell them. They know they're far from God. Because you won't tolerate it. Not forever. Father, we ask that you would be merciful to them, draw them to yourself, help them to see there is a way of escape. It's trusting Christ as their Lord and Savior, letting you be their focus, your church, their encouragement. Lord, from the littlest to the oldest, draw us to this beautiful place where you are head in charge and building a household without grumbling and without complaints. Let us ever be thinking of you and praising you and conquering these things that are so anti-you and against you and distracting us from wonderful 
fruitful, lit up ministry. We ask for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen.